We're looking together, aren't we, at this series on spiritual eyes, we're calling it. We're, we're looking through the scriptures about really the story that is, in a sense, behind the story. That it's only when we have those spiritual eyes that we can really see what the whole picture of the scriptures is all about. And so we let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would send again your spirit right now. For it's your spirit that reveals truth to us. So often we, we've read the words, but we've not understand the truth. It's been hidden from us. And we ask, as we just sang, that that veil would be taken away, would be torn into, and that you would help us to see so that we may grow, not just in understanding, but in who we are as ambassadors for you, as your children, as, as co-heirs. Speak to us through your word. Reveal it to us now, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of where we've come from, because it's been a while, hasn't it? This is just uh, so that we understand. So we've been looking together at this verse, which we've kind of based it on. What does it really mean? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul said to the church in Ephesus. But it's against the ruler, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, what's, what's that all about? And we've been unpacking it and trying to understand the big picture of the whole of the Scriptures from Genesis, and we'll carry on through to Revelation. What's it really all about? And we said that the Bible really speaks about two realms. There's a spiritual realm, the heavenlies, and there's a physical realm, the earth. And God, when he created the heavens and the earth, he created in the spiritual realm, in the heavenlies, what is in the Hebrew generically called the Elohim. That, that's the uh, angels, the demons, also the, the spirits of the dead. Uh, God is Elohim as well. So so all those in that spiritual dimension, it, it comes under that sort of generic term, Elohim. But God also created the earth and everything in it. And he placed on the earth humanity. And he said to humanity, well, in Eden, he said, blessed us. And he said, go and be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And why did he do that? Well, he did that because he wanted Eden, one of the first council rooms, the place where those two met, the divine and, or the, the, uh, the spiritual and the physical come together. And God said, you know what? I want Eden to be like the whole earth. I want the spiritual realm to be able to enjoy humanity everywhere. 
and I want humanity to be able to enjoy the spiritual realm everywhere. Just like you can in Eden. Remember Adam and Eve, they were walking in the cool of the night and God was there and they were just chatting, right? It was just natural. It was normal. And God said, I want that to be normal absolutely everywhere. And that's why Genesis 1.28, he said, now I'm tasking you to go and bring that. That's what you're to do. Make the world like Eden. Going the wrong way. Here we go. Be my image, he said. Go and do that everywhere. The problem was that both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm, we said, no. We said, nice idea, God, but oh, we got a better one. And in the spiritual realm, it talks in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and we looked at that, it said there was pride. And, and where God sits on his throne, some of the spiritual beings said, some of the Elohim said, no, that's where I want to sit. Why should we be taking orders from them? We get that all the time, don't we? Why, why should we be, you know, I heard the other day, like this is an aside really, but a certain prime minister that I'm not going to mention, apparently when he was at Eton, his college professors there said that he doesn't obey any of the rules. Like, apparently they, they said like that he's, he's academically brilliant, but he has a real hard time he just doesn't think any of the rules applies to him. And he was the same in Eton, apparently, as he's been certainly in later life. But we were the same. God said, this is what I want you to do. But we go, yeah, 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 but no, thanks. Right? I'm, I'm going to just. And so the spiritual realm did it and said, no, no, we're not going to take those orders. doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. I want to sit on your throne. I want to be the one giving the orders, not you. And in the physical realm, there's a story of the apple, isn't there? God said, don't, don't, don't eat that. And we went, yeah, good idea, God, but it looks good. And I'm, you know, fancier, golden delicious. So that's what I'm going to do. And the consequences of that are what? Well, brokenness and separation. The Bible calls it death. So in the spiritual realm, they were sent down to earth. They were separated from the heavenly courts. They said, no, you can't be here in my council room anymore. You've broken it. Can't be here. And we were kicked out of the garden and said, you can't be now in the same place. You, you, you bust the thing. It's no good. And so what do we do? And what did the spiritual realm do? We go, ah. Okay, so we're, we've been separated from God. We're thrown out. Okay, why don't we fix it on ourselves? No point calling in, you know, the plumber. I can handle this. So we started to fix it. And in the spiritual realm, what do they do? They said, well, okay, God said you have to is, is go forth, multiply, and do this. We'll produce our own nation of people, our own race of people, and so the fallen Elohim had relationships with the daughters of, of humanity, formed their own lineage and said, hey, we will go and subdue the earth. We will go and fill it, and we'll fill it with our own people, doing it in our own way. And God went, no, you won't, and sent a flood. 
and said, that's it. I'll rescue those that are righteous, Noah and his family, but the rest, no. When we said, you know what? God liked the idea, but you know what? I'm tired of walking. I don't want to keep walking across this whole earth. Ooh. And spiritual darkness came over the face of the earth. And we said, no, I don't want to do that. We said, you know what? We're going to stay here. We're going to build a tower. God, you come down to where we are. We're not going to go to where you are. You come down to where we are, and, and we're going to stay here. And God said, let there be light. And you, we're going to stay here. And God said, no, you're not. I'm going to start introducing foreign languages so that you won't understand one another. And they all suddenly went, boy, I don't understand them at all. They must be from up north somewhere or down south somewhere or east somewhere or west somewhere because I don't understand a word they're saying. And we ended up being scattered because he scattered us as it was designed to be. But then what did God do? Well, God says, and this is the difficulty, that God wants us to do this out of our own hearts. He needs us to be willing to do it. He gave us free will. Because without free will, you can't love. Without free will, there's no obedience. If you order someone to do something, there's no choice in it. And God said, I'm not gonna, I don't want robots. I want, I want them to be my image. And, and I have free will. And I want everybody else to have free will. And so the thing is, God said, okay, well, if you're going to disobey me, then I have to let you go. I can't force you. And so it says that he let all the fallen Elohim go, and they took up residence on, across the planet in the spiritual realm, and they became the gods of the spiritual realm. But he said, you know what? In, in Deuteronomy, he said, I'm going to keep one place for myself. You can't have it all. Because if you have it all, then how is anybody going to turn back? How is anybody going to know any different? So he said, I'm going to keep Israel for my own possession. They will be my people. I will be their God. And they'll be like a beacon that shines out across the whole world. The problem is, did Israel do what they were supposed to do? He gave them the law. He said, this is how, you, how you're to obey me. This is how you're to follow me. These are the kind of ways that will make you into this beacon that everybody will see how blessed you are and how wonderful it is. And it'll be like Eden right here. And did they follow it? No. They said, you know what? We got a better idea. We want to do it our way and not God's way. And so God said, eventually, when he got so fed up with them, he said, that's it. There's no point you even being there because you're just an embarrassment. I'm going to throw you into exile. Because actually it's better if you are not there pretending to be what you're not than it is you being there and giving such a poor image to everybody. So he sent them away. And then God came in Pentecost and he said, I'm going to change, change it again and I'm going to show little lights everywhere. Not just in one place anymore, but I'm going to spread my light throughout the whole world. Do you remember when Pentecost, when we all had our little glow sticks and it was absolutely everywhere, not just in Israel, but everywhere throughout the whole world. But the thing is, God never changed his plan. 
I kind of said before, it's plan A, plan B, plan C. There's never been a plan B and plan C. It's always plan A. God's plan never changed. He's always wanted, he's always aimed for, he's always been working towards this one plan that the whole world will be like Eden. That the spiritual realm will enjoy the physical, the physical will enjoy the spiritual, that it will be in complete harmony and that God will be there honored and glorified in the midst of it all. His plan never changed, but he needed Israel and he needed Pentecost to fulfill his plan. Why? Well, because there are two challenges that God had. Firstly, God needed someone in order for his plan to work. God had to, to have someone on earth who would actually do what we were supposed to do, like a pre-fall Adam, that would obey God, that would do so that we could see what it's like to live in Eden, right? He needed someone that could come, someone that would be here, that would be so in tune with God, that would be so obedient to God, that would never fail God, that would continue to be like Adam was, and Eve was before they ate the apple, so that the world could see this is, this is what it's like. This is what it's all about. This is the blessings of how you can live if you live in harmony. Because otherwise we've got no example to follow. And so God needed to find someone that could do that. But secondly, he needed also to find a way back for all of us who had rebelled. You see, there's no way back for us. That's the problem. Because the wages of sin is death, right? And God looked around humanity and he said, where, where can I find, you know? Richard, he's messed up. He swore on the tennis court when he shouldn't have done, you know? I don't know if that's true or not, but probably. At least in your head, if not out loud, right? You know, Corbina, no, 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 no. Good as he is, you know. Even Pastor David, no. Just ask Enika, you know. Enika, uh, she's up there, but no. Just ask me. Right? Nowhere could God find King David, the man after God's own heart. Someone that whose heart was in tune with God was, how good was he? He was pretty bad, wasn't he? He was a murderer, an adulterer. Uh, let's not even bother going down the whole list, right? So God said, where am I going to find? And, and, and let alone, how can I find someone that will provide a way back? And so we know the answer. See, it's like this, right? I, I, need, I need the Trinity. Okay, can the three, do you, do you mind coming out the front? Okay. Do you mind coming out, Inika? Yeah, you've got to hold hands. Father, Son, and Spirit. Who looks more like God the Father? Brian or Richard? The lady. <laughs> That's fine. Jenny can be God the Father. I don't mind, right? 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Now, we were supposed to be in perfect harmony, connected, right? You're the Spirit. So you connect to God. Okay, Inika, come and connect as humanity. You connect to God through the Son via the work of the Holy Spirit, right? That's how you connect to the Father. But the problem is, when we go wrong, what do we do? We say, I don't want to connect. When we eat an apple, every time we disobey God, what are we saying? I, I don't want that connection. I want to do it my way, right? So we walk off this way. And we go, thanks very much, but, yeah, with, with the other sinners. <laughs> <sighs> I don't ever ask your wife to do this again. Right. Okay? No, 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 you still need it. Okay? Now, the Trinity looks around and says, you know what? I need two things. I need someone, a human being, because, because Genesis 1.28 is for humanity to go around the world. So I need a human being that can model what it really, really means to go and be that, right? To be that perfection between the, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Now, Trinity, look out over there. Do you see anybody that meets the bill? No, sadly not, right? They're looking beautiful, but no. And so what did God have to do? He said, there is no one. Why? Because you're all sinners. I hate to break this to you, but it's true. Right? We're sinners from the moment that we're born because we're born into a world that's messed up. Even if we haven't at that moment messed up ourselves, we're, we're, we're infected by the mess of the world. And so we can't help it. And so God had to say, well, I'm going to send... My son, because he's the only one I can send, right? He needs to be born as a human being. Otherwise, it doesn't work because he has to be human fully, right? But the second part was that you're still in sin over here. Don't get too close to the Godhead. Back, 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 back. But a second part is all of us, all of us are over here, right? And so he said, you know what? I don't want to leave my humanity here. Like when he started with Noah, what did he do? He started again. He said, well, wipe them out because they're fallen, right? They're all fallen from the fallen line and everything else. But he said, these guys are not from the fallen line, so I don't want to leave them here. So what can I do? Well, I'll send my son to go rescue them. Now, how does the sun go from here to here? How can the sun be separated from the Godhead? Can't. Why not? Why? How do we get there? How do we get to where Enochar is? Sin. Sin, right? It's when, it's when we do the things, when we break, when we turn our back on God. That's what sin is. 
It's the only way we can get there. And how could Jesus get to here? He couldn't. Could he? No. Because Jesus couldn't stop being perfect. He couldn't stop being deity. He couldn't stop being God. Because if Jesus stopped being God, then he's not God, right? Yeah, he can sin. And then what happens? He comes all the way over here and he's stuck with the rest of us. Because we can't get back, can we? So what did Jesus have to do? He had to live a life that was sinless, that was perfect. But what did he do on the cross? He took on himself, willingly, your sin and mine. And what is the consequences, the wages of sin? Death. So when Jesus died on the cross, he said, tetelestai, which means... It is finished. It's done. What did he mean by that? He meant that on the cross, somehow, he came because of your sin and my sin, not his own sin, because he didn't have any. He came over here to where we are, right? Now, I'm not going to go into the theology of this. Let's, let's just, right, because like theologically, maybe they all went, right? Because you can't break the Trinity, etc., etc. But it doesn't matter right now. That's a different sermon. He came, God came through Jesus to where we are. And he said, it's finished. I'm now with them. I've come to where they are. I've come to where you guys, where I am, right? Separated. It's done. That's why on the cross... He said it's finished. He didn't say it at Easter Sunday. He said it on the cross, right? Why? Because Jesus' great and most difficult work, in a sense, was to get from the Godhead, to get from here over to here. Do you understand? Is it making sense? Then Jesus, when he was in the grave, what did he need to do? Well, then he exerted, he had to have enough power within himself, which obviously he does, to grab of all of us that are over here and march us back this way. Yeah, hand in hand. There you go. Right? Okay? So that we can reconnect. And that's what you see at Pentecost, right? Do you understand? Does it make sense? Thank you very much. Give him a round of applause. That's awesome. Now, my question to you is how did he do it? You see, Jesus had to die, but he had to get you and me to kill him. And, and this is the next sermon, he had to get the spiritual realm to kill him as well. He had to get you and me to put him on a cross 
so that our sin could be on him so that he could take that journey over here, right? He had to do that. He couldn't just do it himself. He didn't just march up and go, hey, Romans, just nail me to the cross. That's no, 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 no. We had to put him there. Humanity had to put Jesus on the cross. We had to place him there so that he could take humanity's sin, so that he could take humanity's journey, so that he could rescue humanity and take us back to the Godhead where we can't come on our own strength. Right? And so Jesus' ministry is all about this. It's about how he did it in both the physical realm, how he came and he rescued us, but also, and we'll look at this next time, how he needed to do it equally in the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm had to put him on the cross as well so that he could go then into the spiritual realm and rescue those and give those who have spiritually fallen away from God an opportunity to come back just as he did for us, right? So think about it. Jesus, he was like an undercover agent. Now, he couldn't not speak the truth. I've just said that wrong. He couldn't lie. Let me put it that way, right? He couldn't, so everything he had to say was the truth. But equally, he couldn't exactly reveal what he was going to do because if he revealed it and was really open about it, we wouldn't have put him on the cross, or maybe we would, but certainly the spiritual realm wouldn't have put him on the cross. So Jesus was like an undercover agent. That's what the Gospels is all about. But you never realized that, did you? Right? He's there treading this tightrope of showing us what Eden is like, but also provoking us so that we will nail him to a cross so that his real reason for coming, which was to die so that he could come and rescue us and bring us back, right? I hope at the end of this, your appreciation for Jesus will go sky high. Today we're going to look at how he did it in the physical realm. How did he do it? I'm just going to look through Luke's gospel. You can take any of the gospels, it will be the same. When Jesus started his ministry, what happened? Well, everybody spoke well of him, right? This guy turns up out the middle of nowhere, 30-year-old man, wearing an African shirt, right? He turns up and he, he's like, he starts healing people. He starts preaching with authority and everybody's going, whoa, whoa, this guy's awesome. He starts drawing a crowd. So much so he has to get in a boat sometimes and go out because, you know, there's, there's no O2 arena that he can buy out. So he just uses the shoreline. And everybody says, wow, this guy's something else. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, who is this guy? But then Jesus, he starts to provoke the religious leaders. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? Religion. Religion is the opposite of faith. Faith is about relationship. Religion is about structure. It's dead. That's why you get people that came to church their whole life and something will happen in their life and they go, oh, I don't believe anymore. Why? Well, because they didn't have a relationship. They had a religion. 
And when you have a religion, it doesn't give you any answers at all. And he started prodding the religious leaders. In Luke 4, what he says was like, they said, oh, you're so amazing, you're so amazing. And he goes, yeah, well, and you're one of us. And he says, well, yeah, but I haven't just come for you guys. Remember the widow at Zarephath? How come there was starving in Israel and God decided to feed this Gentile woman? And they're like, yeah, yeah, but we don't, we don't mention that story. And they got a bit irritated with him. And they got a bit furious because he started to attack the religious structures and said, you know what? You think you've got it so together? It's not true. How come you're doing this and doing this? And the religious leaders in the synagogue started to get a bit upset because Jesus, he's got this big following and he's making waves here. Then in Luke 6, this is where it talks about the Lord of the Sabbath, I think. Let me just make sure I'm not preaching heresy here. Luke 6, Lord of the Sabbath. So he goes into the synagogue on a, on a, on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, and there's a guy with a shriveled hand, and they're looking. Is he going to heal him? You're not allowed to heal him on the Sabbath. Sabbath is holy, set apart for God. You can't do that. And he goes, what do you think? What are you talking about? God meant it for good, not for what you've made it into. And so they look for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watch closely to see if he was going to break some of the rules. And when he broke the rules, they were furious. And they said, you know, we, this, is, this is escalating here. We, we thought this was just Joseph's son, and now this Joseph's son's business is escalating. It's going to get a bit out of control here. He's got this huge following. What are we going to do? And they discussed what they could do. And in Luke 7, it says this. This kind of summarizes where it gets up to. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' word, Words acknowledge that God's way was right because they've been baptized by John. John's baptism was of repentance. So because they had repented, because they had begun relationship with God, they recognized that what Jesus, is, Jesus was saying and what he was doing was God's way and it was right. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because there, there, there was no repentance. They would say, no, we're going to maintain the structures because we love the structures. This is how we've been doing it for hundreds of years. This is what we're here to maintain. Jesus, you're making waves here. We don't like this. We don't care if it's good or if it's bad. You're causing an embarrassment here. You're not following what we should be doing. You're not following what's been laid down from generation to generation. And they started getting upset. And so you start seeing this kind of, the people on this side going, hey, this guy's awesome. And the religious leaders on this guy going, this guy's trouble. With a capital T. And look at all the people that are following him. And then in Luke 11, Jesus is invited. He preaches, right? And, and in those days when you used to preach, I think you should bring this back, to be honest. When you, when you preach, you're invited around to the, the, uh, the leader. You know, the church secretary says, you've got to come to my house for dinner. Right? That's why this should come back in, definitely. So the preacher always got invited back by the religious leader, right? So whoever is in charge of the synagogue, you've got to come back for dinner. It's customary. I might not like you, but you've got to come anyway because that's what we do. 
And when Jesus was there in the home of this Pharisee, do you know what he did? He said, I'm going to call down curses on you. Well, not on you personally, but on all you religious leaders. Because all his mates were there, all the religious leaders, right? The whole, the whole board was there. They were all sitting there because, you know, Danette said, oh, I can't handle him on my own. Better bring back up. So they were all there. And Jesus sat there and he said, look, you know what? First curse, this is the opposite of the blessings, right? The woes and the blessed are you in Matthew 5. The woe is the opposite. Cursed, basically it means. Cursed are you because you give God the external things but not the internal things. You know, you give your tithes and your offerings, but you don't do justice. You don't, you don't love as you should love. You don't do these things that you should be doing. He says, you know what? Curse on you because you love all the seats of honor. You love to be, you know, up there at the front. You love to be sitting in the positions of authority. And that's all you really care about is so that other people can see you. He says, curse on you because you live hollow lives and you preach a worthless message. You don't, you don't preach to help others. You just preach this, this religion that actually just stops people from knowing who God is rather than helps them. He says, you load burdens on people and you do nothing to help them. You say, this is what you've got to do, but you don't help them to do it. You just, and you criticize them when they don't measure up to your standards. He says, you've actually killed the truth about God. And it's not surprising, he said, because that's your history, that whenever a prophet of God comes, you bump them off anyway. So I'm not surprised that you just kill the truth because you've been doing it from generation to generation. And lastly, he said, you even take away the knowledge of God and you hide it from everybody else. He's sitting there. I assume he had dinner first. But he's sitting there in the home. I mean, if that was in your house, wouldn't you be insulted? Wouldn't you be a bit upset, a bit miffed? But Jesus was prodding, right? Why? Because he needed them to nail him to a cross. So he just kept poking. When the Pharisees went outside, sorry, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. You see, they thought he was a human being and therefore he was going to mess up like everybody else. They didn't recognize who he was. Sooner or later, he's going to say something and we'll be there waiting for him and then we'll get him. But that's a frustrating thing to do when you're talking about Jesus, isn't it? Guy that never messes up. But he just keeps up in the ante, right? Prod, prod, prod. You know, have you ever been in a fight where someone's like points at you and then they start pushing you and then they push you a bit harder and they push you a bit harder and then they push you a bit harder until you lose it? No. But you've seen it in the movies. I know it's never happened to you because it's a little bit like that. Jesus kept prodding. Now, he prodded with the truth, right? Nothing he said was inaccurate. Nothing he said was wrong. He couldn't break 
perfection. So he had to do it with the truth. But he kept prodding. And then Palm Sunday, when it all came to a head. Do you remember what happened? He rides in, clop, 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 on the donkey. Everybody's there. They're palm branches. Everybody's, right? Fantastic. Then what happens? He marches straight into the temple. He starts chucking over everything, causing a real scene. And he says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, right? He went to the very heart of where they were. He came right in and he said, this is rubbish what you're doing. It's not biblical. It doesn't even marry up to your own Bible in the Old Testament. Get these people out of here. Because they'd set up this religious system that even stopped people from worshiping. You see, what they'd done was this, right? When you come to church in the morning, this is how we're going to do it next week, right? You have to pay to get in, right? But you have to pay not in English pounds, not in American dollars. You have to pay in Trinity pounds, in Trinity, we'll call it something else, in Trinity currency, right? And we can set the exchange rate. Now we know that Britain's in a mess, so the exchange rate's going sky high, Right? And you can't come worship, you can't come and meet with God unless you pay us, you pay me, in Trinity money, I need to give you the Trinity coin to allow you to come in and worship. You don't have it, you can't come in. That's how it was. That's why he went, he said, this is a house of prayer. This is where everybody should be able to come in. And you're stopping people who can't afford to pay to come in and worship. What kind of an affront is this? And so he threw them out, and they didn't like it because they're going, yeah, but hang on a minute. That, that, that's my Starbucks money and my Wenzel's money for the week. How dare you start attacking that? You know, you can do anything, but don't, don't mess with my blue suede shoes, right? You're not doing that. It's not happening. And right in the very center, in the heart of it, right? It's like, you imagine going into the Vatican and just, or going into St. Paul's or Westminster Abbey and, I mean, I know they're all fixed down the pews, but you know what I mean? Like you start chucking everything out going, it's ridiculous, you've got to pay to come in and worship. How is that even possible? They would not be happy, I can tell you. Don't try it, by the way. And so he did that in the very center. The problem is this. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. You see, he had this amazing following of people, right? All the crowds loved him. And they were afraid that if they, if they do something to Jesus, then all these people are going to be upset because religion is all about the exterior, not the interior. So they're like, what are we going to do? How can we do this? Well, they managed to find one of their own, Judas, who would betray him. Now, we could go into why and everything else. We'll leave that for now. 
But when they found that opening that they'd been looking for, they took it with both hands and they said, now we've got him. We can get rid of him. Because in their thinking, if you got rid of Jesus, you got rid of the problem, right? Everybody would scatter and go away. There'd been others before that had had a following and when they died, that was it. It would all go away. And they would live happily ever after and the wonderful temple and the religion and everything else would be maintained. But as I said to you, it wasn't just the religious leaders that had to put Jesus on the cross. It was all of us. And so as we read the story of Good Friday, who is it that said crucify? Not just the leaders. They were the ones that manipulated the whole things, but who was it who shouted crucify? Everyone. They whipped up everybody in the crowd. They whipped up. Why? Because they saw this Messiah, and this is where they had this. Remember I said it was like an undercover agent? This is where Israel comes in. You see, they thought that Jesus was going to be the new king of Israel, the nation. Was the second David, the son of David who was going to reestablish, was going to throw out the Romans, was going to set up this Edenic state again in Israel. Right? That's what they thought. That's what the Old Testament implies. And it does that for a very good reason. Because if they had revealed the real reason for Jesus' coming, we wouldn't have nailed him to the cross. And neither would the Elohim. And so it's hidden. It's hidden in the Old Testament. It's hidden under this guise of him being the leader. What was written above the cross? Here is the king of the Jews. He's going to be their new king. He's going to be their new leader. And the leader said, if we can get rid of the king, we get rid of the whole thing, right? And when Jesus stood before them with a crown of thorns and his back whipped to pieces they suddenly realize this can't be the king. This is not, this is not the one that's, how can he, we thought he would stand against the Romans. He's raised people from the dead, for goodness sake. He can do anything. He can walk on water. He can heal the sick. He can cast out demons. There's, he's unstoppable. And then he stood before them on Good Friday, beaten and broken. And they went, I guess he isn't. How, how do we get it so wrong? How do we misunderstand? And it's because Jesus had to use this kind of cover so that we would nail him to the cross. So we all shouted from our sinful position over here, crucify. And as soon as we did that, Jesus went, that's good. That's good because now I'm going to be able to go and save you. I'm going to be able to take that journey that Richard took, right? Over to here, rescue and bring you back. Do you understand? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Pilate said, it's over to you guys. Remember he washed his hands? said, it's on your own heads, be it. It's on you. It's on your generation and the generations that come after you. 
This is your doing. It's not secular doing. It's your doing of the people. And they went, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison, uh, Barabbas, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. We nailed him on that cross. You see, the truth of the story is this. That in Eden, we always said to God, my will, not yours, be done. And we keep on saying that, don't we? In all honesty. God, I want to do it my way. God, I, I, yeah, I love you and all that, but I want to do it my way. I want my will, but not yours, be done. Right? I want to come worship when I want to come worship. Not when it's too hot or it's too cold or it's too wet or it's too dry, but when I want to do it, when I feel like getting out of bed, I'll come worship you. Lord, Lord uh, yeah, I know, I know you asked me to do this for someone, but Lord, uh, yeah, it's inconvenient, so I want to do it when I want to do it. But Lord, I know, you know I struggle with this, but Lord, you know, you've you got, you know, you got to grade me on some kind of, I'm trying, but Lord, but it's my will. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be sold out for you. I don't mind you being part of my life, but I don't want you to be all of my life. My will, not yours, be done. But in Gethsemane, Jesus said, your will, not mine. This is the story of God. This is grace. Paul said it in the book of Romans. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were over here lost, right? Christ died for the ungodly, for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died. You see, Jesus didn't have to worry about whether he had the power to bring us back. He knew that. Satan has no power over Jesus. He knew that. He knew that in life. He just said the word and demons had to flee. The Elohim had to go, the fallen Elohim. He wasn't worried about that. He needed a way for us to bring him to where we are so that he can rescue us from where we are back to him. My friends, that's the gospel of Christ. That's what he came to do for you and for me. And he had to walk this road so carefully maintaining his perfection in everything he said, in everything he did, so that he, he remained God. But doing it in a way where he would provoke religion, provoke us, so that we would nail him to a cross. It's amazing, isn't it? It blows my mind when I stop to think about it. The pressure that Jesus was under, 
to fulfill all of that for you and me. And today, as we gather around his table, he says, do it to remember what I've done. Remember that however far away you feel, hey, I brought you back. I've taken you by the hand. I've come to where you are. I've taken on the sin of every single person, everything that you will ever possibly do in your life. I've taken that on so that I can come here. So there is nothing that holds you away from God any longer. Nothing. I don't care what the sin is. I don't care what the separation is. I don't care how you have turned your back on God and walked this way. Jesus has come there and he said, you know what? I died for all of that, everything, past, present, and future. For all of humanity, for God so loved the world that he came to do this. So that every single one of us, he says, take my hand. You're not a slave. You're a co-heir. You're, you're my partner now. Come with me. Come back and restore relationship. I don't know where you are today with God. But I want to say this. He stands there and he's knocking at the door. I don't know whether you feel far away or really close. But he's saying, take my hand. Take it. I, I did this so that you won't stay over there. But that I can bring you back here. I did this so that you don't have to stay in this nonsense that's called religion. That has no power that has no it doesn't it doesn't change life it doesn't do anything it it just it just hinders you and pulls you down and and pushes you into a mold i've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness take my hand and come with me i pray right now lord as we eat your bread and as we drink from your cup the Spirit of God, you would do something within us. That you would not only help us to recognize in our minds what Jesus Christ has done, the, the price that he paid to rescue me. Me. But Lord, we would know it in our hearts. And that we would be connected to you through our spirits. Bring us back. Take us closer. Help us to follow. In spirit and in truth. Our loving Lord Jesus Christ. You see, on the night that he was betrayed, before all this happened, after he'd pushed them far enough and he knew what was going to come, 
He said, I'm going to give you something that will help you to remember, help you to understand, help you more than anything else to realize just how special you are, how much I love you, that I'm willing to go to where you are to bring you back to where you couldn't come on your own. So he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's given for you. It's given for you to bring you back into relationship. And this is my blood that's poured out poured out for that new covenant in Jeremiah that he spoke about so long ago that I will be your God, you will be my people, I will be inside of you. This is all for you. Do this every time you eat, every time you drink, to remember me. Father, as we eat today and as we drink today, may we do so with such love, thankfulness in our hearts. I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you stayed on that cross, except you looked at us and you said, this is why I'm here. You said I could have called 12 legions down, but you stayed there because it was the only way to give us a chance back to you. Thanks is not adequate. Lord, may we give our lives as a living sacrifice to you, for that's all we can do. In response to your sacrifice for me.